All right. Welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today we have Joe Scott on the line. Uh, we're doing this live now, but you're probably going to hear it later uh, because we're recording this. But uh, Joe's IT manager at BMT. Joe, uh, welcome to the show, man. And we've had literally probably like 60 seconds to talk. So we're, we're going to wing this as much as we can here, which is honestly... Um, maybe a, a lot of times how end users expect IT to work. Um, can you just, can I just stop by the desk and can you make my stuff work? Exactly. Do you, do you ever run into that? I'm just curious. Do you ever have, some people call those. All the, all the time. We call it, uh, well, we, we call them the lurkers. Um, they usually kind of hang the by lurkers? the door. Wait, did you yeah, say they, the lurkers? Yeah. <laughs> because you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going to ask something and they're in, in my office. I have a, I have a, um, a window. So they kind of peek in the window and then they, kind of hang around. And if I'm on the phone, you know, they'll still stay there. So, you know, they're itching for something. And then it usually turns out to be, Hey, uh, you know, my mouse is broken. <laughs> Man. Why is it always the mouse? Why, it, it you know, I mean, really, uh, it's like guy, um, I'm pretty sure we can expense that down at office max. I'm just kidding. You do not want them doing that. <laughs> that's like a, a shadow IT mouse thing. But hey, man, why don't, uh, you know, before we get into this thing, since this is kind of a, an IT leadership thing, there's a couple questions, themes that have, been, that have been popping up lately, but give me a little bit of a, a background, man. Like, how'd you get, how'd you get started in this, in this craziness? Well, uh, you know, I initially went to college to be a history teacher, and that's what I always thought I'd do. But uh, well, well, first of all, this is this is this is great, okay? Because I started off pre-med. Uh, I was a chemistry major, and uh, I ended up going into creative writing, and now I'm in technology. So, uh, but I did minor in history. So, you know, why history? You know, I, I in, in 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 high school, it, it was I felt like it was the only thing I really enjoyed. So I said, okay, well, I got to pick something. So let's go with this and see what happens. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Was it, the, was it the subject that you got the highest grade in? It wasn't. I, I, I did well with it, but it wasn't the subject that I, I did the best at. Hmm. Um, I actually did better at English, which I was very surprised. <laughs> wow. And now we're, now we're in technology. Yeah. I only said that because I have to, this is my day today. I have to go in the afternoon to take my daughter to get her driver's permit. And, uh, you know, the, the teacher's like, well, congratulations, you got a 95 on your test, you only got one wrong. She's like, Dad, I got a 95 on my test. I was like, of course you did, because you want to drive. Like, right. you really want to do that. It's exciting, you know, you want to go get your license. You remember mm -hmm. back when, like, driving was like, now I'm just like, you, you can drive me wherever you want. I'll, that's fine. I want a personal driver. You can drive right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's something to that. So anyways, um, history in... Uh, History, how'd you get into like technology? You fall into it like a lot of people, obviously. Well, I always, I kind of fell in love with computers in the 90s. Um, I'm a child of the 90s, and um, nice. it was gaming back then that drove drove my curiosity into computers. Um, now, let's, let's, let's expand on that just because this is always fun and exciting on, on sure. what game, you know, what was gaming in the nineties? Was it Dune? Was it, um, what was that other crazy, like weird Wolfenstein 3d? Yeah. Like, what was it? So for gaming for me in the nineties was, was two, was twofold. You had the console era, um, but then you mm. also had computers and the computer gaming was like 
like Ultimate Online, um, Boulder's Gates, things like the, those types of those types of games. Ultima and, Online was crazy. Yeah. Remember, you know why? Have you looked up why that blew up? Like why that? Why they failed? No, I didn't. I. I I did, um, it's pretty crazy because Ultima, you had the first Ultima series, you had like all the Ultimas, Ultima 8, and then like part 1, part 2, Ultima 9, like, you know, and then they had the Ultima Online, which they did, which was actually way ahead of its time, right? Because it was like live gaming and you could go yeah. and like, you mm-hmm. like kill animals and stuff, but they kind of like World of Warcraft where you could like slaughter, like, you know, you go out and just collect gold, people would go, I guess... I guess just like kill the animals and somehow in, in, I guess the animals like would re reproduce or something in the game. I can't remember what yeah. it was, but they, basically humans broke the system. Like they used the game in a way that the coders and the software developers didn't think that humans would use it and they broke it. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I think we enjoyed um, as teenagers is we found ways to break the game and hack the game and do things that it wasn't intended to do. <laughs> um, and like, especially with EverQuest and those games like that, uh, and it was it was so much fun just trying to circumvent the things. I mean, obviously, we know you know today that's frowned upon, but we, it was just back then. You know, we didn't know any better. We just really thought it was cool to do stuff like that. My one friend was really into coding, and um, you know, we were just kind of kids. It's know? still cool to do that. Yeah. Just so you know, because, <laughs> and I didn't realize it until I was speaking, and this is probably like the third episode again, I'm going to say this again, but I was really shocked that my nephew knew about DDoS attacks and everything. I'm like, how do you know about this? Like, what are you doing? He's like, because we'll be playing on Xbox and like my team's like, we're like really good. And then like another team will get mad that we're winning in some game room or something. So they'll start sending DDoS attacks on our home IP addresses to shut us down. Awesome. Isn't that crazy? That is. I don't know if people were doing that back then. No, not that. It was just a dial-up. You know, if you, if you were lucky if you were able to get online. The only, only per- the person that really got you was mom and dad when they wanted to use the phone. Who's on the line? Yeah. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, what was your first um, What was your first computer? I will never forget it. Um, I, I had a Cyrex PR-166. And at that time, Cyrex chips were at the top of the line and they saved all summer for it. Mm. Um, and also at that time, the way to get computers was you go to the computer shows yeah. and, uh, we'd go there and we'd pick carts and build it up and break things. And, um, cause all I wanted was to be able to run the two later two <laughs> at wow. that time. So, uh, we, we got, I got that Cyrex chip and, uh, that was a kind of a custom built, uh, built chip. That, you know, that was just fun. That was that kind of like the exciting yeah. time. Mm-hmm. You know, now you can kind of just you can kind of just buy your 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 gaming. I mean, you can still build a computer, but you don't have like the same problems that we used to have, like memory, right? Like moving moving memory around to make a game load, you know, yeah. something like that. Um, so, I see on your profile you've got engineer, United States Marine Corps. What's that all about? Tell so, me story. So yeah, in between college, I, I decided it was a good idea to join the Marines because I was a little bit unsure what I wanted to do in college, and uh, I signed up. And uh, I, I was a physical combat engineer in the, the Marines for four or five years there. What was um, now when you say engineer, like it's such a broad term. Like what were we engineering? So it's mostly combat engineer. Basically, what we do in short term, we blow up stuff. 
work with C4, lines, things like that. That actually sounds like fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is fun um, and as to a certain extent, um, but it does take a toll on the old body. Um, after a while, your ears can only take so much. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, unless of course there's like a lot of, you know, I guess it depends on what, I guess it depends on, on what we're blowing up, but, um, okay. So it, what was kind of like the turning point? Like at what point were you, at, at what point did you say, you know, I'm making a career out of this? Was it, did you kind of just. It, it was, was in the like, Marines because I ended up do, fixing, uh, systems when we were out in the field and we were deployed. I ended up fixing computers while right there. I was like, I kind of like this. And uh-huh. that was kind of the thing. Okay, wait a minute. Well, maybe why not do something that I like? So after that, I you know decided to uh, when I got out, I decided to pursue that as my career. Okay, gotcha. And so you're IT manager now. What's um what's your team look like? So I've got about three developers. We've got four um, uh, AWS engineers. Um, and a couple of compliance guys. And, uh, you know, that's, that's about it. We're not, not a huge shop, but we have enough to keep us busy. That's for sure. And so you got about, you know, nine guys, if we include software, they, they're humans too. Um, what do we, how many end users? So we've got about you know, 300 or so in our, in our company here that we support, but we also support a lot of clients um, in their infrastructure. That's mostly what our AWS team does and stuff. Okay. Um, and as I, you know, of all the IT directors, IT managers, kind of IT leadership in general that I talk with on a daily basis, the average ratio of technology personnel to end users is net, from what I have yet to see it be um, less than one to 100. Let's just put it that way. So there's about one IT person to a hundred end users. And with, with technology in general growing at the, at the pace that it is, you're responsible for so many things. I mean, so many devices are connected to the internet, um, just technology in general, even if you bring in manufacturing, now you've got all kinds of other things that are involved. And you guys are, I mean, you guys are in, you know, consulting where you're at right now. Is that, what would you say as a, as an IT leader growing up right now in the space, what's your single biggest challenge? And I guess, how do you combat that? What, what do you think in, in, across the board? Like what, what, what is every IT director's single biggest challenge and or frustration? There's, there's, I would say there's four or five of them. Yeah. Well, I would say the number one is, is, is well, specific technology concerns and, 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 and the specific may mean in security. That's number one. How do you secure your environment? Um, that's what keeps us up at night. Um, and then number two would be is, you know, how do you best make use of your time? Uh, because as any IT guy knows, you wear many hats and um, you're doing more than um, just what your role is defined. Um, so, those are my two, at least for me in my environment, my, my two biggest things. Um, mm. As well as all that bottles up into staying within a budget that's appropriate um, to the powers that be. Mm. And let's just talk about the time piece, for example. 
Um, what do you delegate or, or what do you do? I'm kind of like on this. I recently hired an IT manager. I recently hired a producer for the show. I hired a web developer and now I hired, um, uh, I've got kind of like a, like a, another person that's just like, like a, I don't know if I'd call them like a sub producer, someone that just scrubs the shows and knows the stuff. And I'm on this kind of like hyper focus right now of how many things can I delegate and, and what kind of stuff can I get off my plate? Even, you know, even now that I was driving back from jujitsu earlier this morning, I was like, I don't need to drive anymore. My daughter's going to have a, you know, I'm going to make sure that she's driving and I'm working well. You know, I'm going to try to like really maximize my time as much as possible. Is there, do you think there's a lot of things that IT directors hold close to their vest, so to speak, and do not let go of, but they should? Yeah, I think there's too much. And that's the pro- I think that's a challenge, a real challenge for anybody that's in a management position is being able to delegate the trust. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is trusting that somebody will do it. Um, and this may sound a little bit um, arrogant, but I think people have lost trust in other people to do their jobs. I mean, I need you to do this task and it needs to be done as well as I'm what you're thinking. It needs to be done as well as I would do it, if not better. And when you pass that baton on to somebody, you've now extended yourself to that person because now upper management, everybody else looks at if it doesn't get done and looks, it reflects on you. Yeah. So I think, so I think trusting people with the ability to do their jobs. And that's one of the things that um, I found the most challenging but also the most rewarding because when you find that person that you can hand off the trust and delegate tasks to and will get things done and is not afraid to try new things, uh-huh. especially when you get a lot of junior people, they're, they're really afraid to, to take a leap forward into a space, a technology space or a technical problem or something that they've never seen before in fear of breaking things. Um, <clears throat> but when you find that person that's willing to do that and, and actually think, takes risks and you know calculated risks and things um it's very rewarding um because then you realize okay i have the trust in that person i can pass the handoffs things to and you can breathe a sigh of relief and move on to other things <laughs> it's sometimes it's it's like the step back to take a step forward right and so let's just talk about that and then real quick so you're handing off a new task to someone what do you think is the biggest the most important thing first, A, they've got to, they've, they've got to be knowledgeable and be able to do it. Um, the second thing, is there some kind of, you know, do you do anything like setting expectations or should we go through some kind of training protocol? And I'm selfishly asking you this uh, because I, I've delegated some tasks and then I realized halfway through the task, I've got someone asking me questions like, hey, what about this? And I'm like, wow, that's like a real basic knowledge gap that, I should have seen or I should have, you know, you know, I should have like maybe like put them through some kind of like basic training first, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that, that is a challenge. Um, one of the things that we do here that I do here is, is I, 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 I take a lot of time to document how processes and procedures guidelines should be. So that everything, most everything's on paper. And if it's not, it should encourage the person that has the instructions in front of them to, think um, logically about what the next step should be. And of course, making yourself available to questions and being approachable and not being the guy that's you know standing up and has to be the smartest IT guy in the room so that people are willing to ask questions. 
but I find that documenting things. And in what I what I what I kind of draw the line in the sand is, is if I spend a lot of time documenting, I spend a lot of time putting things on paper, so that you can notice things, and you don't read them or you skip over things that's there. And that's when it becomes a more of an issue because then you kind of feel like, well, this person hadn't spent the time to to read the documentation that's there in front of you, so it may not work out in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, because those things are important because you've spent you've invested a lot of time and space so to set up people for success and if they're not using those tools, then you know, we're now taking steps backwards. And when when you go to document something, how do you, how do you think? Are you thinking we're going to break it down into these top three things? And step one is this, and step two is this, and step three is this. Uh, and I, I'm thinking of that because I don't know. We might need to put together some kind of training program for um, X, Y, Z, any number of things. And do we start with an outline, just like in college, and then we're writing a paper, and then we're, you know what I mean? Is there is there any kind of do you have any? systematic way of doing this? I do. I, I, first, number one, I look at my audience. Who am I talking to? Am I talking to a technical person? Am I talking to an end user? Or am I talking to an executive? And then I, and then, then I, then I build my framework around that. Um, well, if I'm talking to a technical person or making guideline procedures for a technical person, then I'm going to get really technical in the weeds and assume they know certain things, mm. um, whether that be networking, whether that be particular to uh, my environment, set procedures. Like you say, IPv4. Right. Like someone might not know what the heck that is, but right. hopefully the guys on your team know what that is. Right. If it's a technical person, I would expect them to know what that means. Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So who are you talking to first? You build the framework. And then, um, you know, what kind of, when you say diet, let's just use an example. You got an example of something that we could think of, like that it might be something that you would delegate off uh, that you documented and provided a framework for? So, yeah, so a, a big example would be um, help desk procedure. So when, 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 when there are certain things in, in our environment, at least, where they need to be done in a certain way, and it might be user onboarding, so mm-hmm. the help desk knows, hey, Johnny's coming on board, here's what you need to do, here's the checklist from start to finish, setting up a computer, adding the adding them to the identity management system, and you're off to the races. You check this box, you check this box, you check this box. You yep. go through it and you print out the paperwork so you have it. And, and it's really important because when you have check boxes, I mean, you have those little things we think, you know, we go back to, you know, the ABC basics of checking off the box and doing it. But it really does matter, at least in my iPhone, that to have that so that people are going over and we don't miss steps. You know, miss those important steps. So for help desk, we have a lot of those types of documentations where we do that, where it's just basic checklists and printing out documentation. And that's, that's, well, this is the way it goes. We don't waver to the left to the right. We just go straight down the middle with those procedures. So that way there's no, there's no question of what needs to be done. Gotcha. And okay. How about uh, building a frame for uh, framework for executive management budget meeting I would hope that your budget grows on a yearly basis, but I have a feeling that a lot of executive management, possibly maybe finance team, might 
underestimate the amount of money that technology needs and is growing with on a yearly basis? And how do you make that yeah. argument? Well, my argument is really simple. I don't have any problems in that area because I'm in, a, I'm in an environment where security is a driving factor and compliance is a driving factor. I'm in the DOD scopes game right. here. So, you know, any kind of NISTA 100-171 compliance, ITAR, CTMC, all these things, these security compliance, they drive my budget. So if I don't have it, if I don't need it, if I don't need it there, if it's not there, then it has to be there. And here's the reason why. We have to make compliance. So it's that in that case, in that regard, it's an easy, it's an easy sell. And my management, I'm really, my executive team is really on board with IT. You don't find that a lot uh-huh. um, in a lot of organizations, but um, they really understand IT because I we 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 have an open dialogue. And we talk about finance and we talk about those things regularly so that everybody's on the same page. And this is why we're doing this. This is why we're not doing that. Um, so, but in our, in our, in our company, compliance is the driving factor. Security is the driving factor because our business depends on it. If we are not compliance, we don't have business. So um, that's, that's, you know, kind of the, at a high level, what drives those kind of conversations. The you mentioned earlier that security keeps you up at night. That's what area? What area of security is most? What is what's what's the most scary? Or maybe we shouldn't even talk about this. But I'm just curious. Like, is it is it end users doing stupid things that, that that's and trying to no. prevent them from doing stupid things, or what is it? It's the outside threat. Um, we're DOD contractors, so we have a target on our back. Um, yep. From state-sponsored actors. From uh, we're not talking about little Johnny Script Kitty. We're talking about state. <laughs> sponsored, you know, threats where they have full financial, you know, support from that, those types of things. So those types of things keep people in the defense sector really up at night because you're, you're dealing with sophisticated threats, advanced, you know, threats, you know, stuff like that. So it's, those are the types of things is, you know, are we doing enough? And you never, I think that the, the moment you get complaint, complacent with security is the, at the moment that you have to really start worrying. So um, we, we try to be vigilant in that area. And I try to, we keep security at the forefront of every kind of conversation. If we do this, how does it affect security? If we don't do that, how does it affect security? So every decision is based upon security, whether that be financial, whether that be technological, everything is based on security. How does it affect the organization from a security standpoint how does it affect your security posture and what is there any single thing any single one thing that's been the most helpful to you when it comes to security believe it or not there's been a lot of resources online provided from um the DOD on on nowhere to get resources you know they have the defense industrial base where they have a lot of stuff in there Mm-hmm. For, for small businesses, there's, there's a lot of stuff. And the, the NIST, of course, has a lot of stuff, SANS Institute, those places. So there's a lot of, those are kind of my primary uh, reading rooms, if you will, for, for information. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a gold mine for things there. And it can be overwhelming at times, of course, because there's, there's so much stuff. But um, you have to have 
a trusted resource to go to to get some information on some of that stuff. So. Uh, yeah, because it, it really is fairly overwhelming, the amount of information that's out there in security. And, and to me, the, the trust factor has to be so high. It's uh, how could you, I'm just, I guess my question would be is how, how do you sift through vendors? How, how do you sift through security vendors? You know, I have a conversation. I have a conversation. That's a very big part. Because I have a conversation and try to see where they'll lead me. And if I feel like they're leading me down a path that's, that's uncertain because I have a lot of times people come in and, and they'll say, we can do this, this, and this. And then when I get down to the weeds in it, come to find out, well, you really can't do this. You really don't understand. So the number one thing for me when talking to vendors is, do you understand my industry? Number two, do you understand my needs? <laughs> and number three, do you understand my budget and my cost? So those are my priorities because I can't even get into a conversation with a vendor if they don't understand my industry and then if they don't understand my organization. I'm not even going to stop cost with you if we don't get past those two first two points. Mm. So, and I can usually tell within, you know, a couple phone calls so whether or not somebody understands my industry. When I say my industry, I'm talking about the contract and things like that, stuff like that. It's a, it's a whole different world. And um, it's... So, I, so when we talk about that, it usually, the defining factor, which the yay or nay, or fight or flight, which I say is, <laughs> um, we, 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 that C word again, compliance, that's usually what's, that's usually what the, uh, the break it or make goes. So um, that's how I usually sit out with vendors. And then they, I keep them on my trusted list of people who I'll have to develop a relationship with. I think that's just just key in general. So, so many people try to be everything to everyone, and if they if they aren't niching down and understanding each individual industry, or they aren't picking, you know, like healthcare for example, like like people focus on healthcare. Mm -hmm. I don't think um, there's just certain certain people that just couldn't ever bring a product to healthcare because uh, there's uh, I don't know too many people that that specialize in in healthcare all by themselves. And there's, there's so many different, uh, I mean, I don't even know if it's compliance in, in healthcare as much as it is just a very, very niche uh, industry that serves, uh, that serves patients, that has all kinds of various different, you know, electronic medical records and different mm -hmm. software pieces and all kinds of things that plug into numerous different things, um, yeah. a thousand different APIs. Uh, so, I mean, and, and in your industry, um, you know, you, like you said, you're, you're in the DOD, so I'm assuming there's a lot of, uh, I mean, do you have a, do you have a very complicated, uh, I mean, I'm assuming you work with a lot of people that have a very complicated bid process and kind of, uh, 8A stuff and, and all that type of thing. Yeah, we do. It's, it's very complicated. It's very, it's very, um, you know, uh, frustrating at times because, uh, you know, our customers are, you know, the Navy, the Coast Guard, you know, things like that, you know, those, those types of people, you know, and, and things and, you know, we're dealing with those. Everybody knows it's not it's not exo exactly the smoothest uh, operation. Mm -hmm. So you know, from, from all the way down from contracts all the way down to you know, finished product projects. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. challenging. Yeah, and time being a factor there. Uh, uh, sometimes I feel like it's very hard to get something done that you really need to get done in the yeah, right amount of time. For sure, uh, it could could be delayed by eight months because of uh, red tape and paperwork, which is not good from a compliance and security standpoint. Um, 
Yeah. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with uh, red tape and paperwork and the bureaucracy slowing things down and um, security has got this like, you know, gaping hole in it? Well, you know, for, for internally, uh, for me, it's, it's nice because I don't have to deal too much along with the, uh, with the contracting point of view, but I do, uh, I do, uh, you know, make sure that our organization is well-oiled. So, I, you know, and in one sense, I can pass the baton off, but then it always comes off as, okay, well, are we meeting this part of the contract? And it's always some security. Concern. Okay, well, you know, okay, we well, need to pass that off to somebody else. And, you know, so it's always this revolving door, but the way you deal with it usually is I try to prioritize what's going to be the most complex based off what we're basically the most sense of urgency, really. And, and deal with that first um, and not, you know, kind of give in to the pressure of um, some powers that be that say it must be done. But rather do it right the first time than have to, to rework and, 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 you know, do all the paperwork over again and this and that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the yeah. Yeah, yeah, very important. The Okay, so let's take it back to, um, let's take it back to the 90s and you deal in security. What year did paranoia set in? Well, for me, it would be Y2K. <laughs> it I mean, is, that, man. That, it's that like was, the cutoff. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the most thing because, you know, again, uh, security wasn't really the buzzword back in the 90s for me, at least in my, my, my world. It was like uh, a make-believe thing. They made movies out of it. Hacker. Yeah. It was yeah. make-believe. It really was. It was make-believe. It was like weird science. It was my, you know, like, you know, stuff like that where it was just, you know, it was like another world. Yeah. The Wizard, I think, was one that came out then I think it was gone with God. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it was like, it was kind of like make-believe back then, mm -hmm. which to me, uh, being that it's 2020 and uh, none of my kids lived through that era. You know, my oldest kid is 16. They'll just never know. Yeah. And that's, to, that's mind-blowing to me. That'll never, I don't think that'll ever get old. I don't think that'll ever get old. Yeah, and I yeah, I, I really think the Y two K thing was the opening first started talking about computer security. Um, I just remember forget that. Just everything was going to that was a total pandemic. And then, you know, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'll never remember my friend shutting the power off in the house, like, you know, down hitting the main breaker at like, you know, twelve o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey. So What's the point? Honestly, for, for IT director, uh, come history major, uh, gamer, building computers, what's the... Um, I, now I'm a full proponent that life is a journey, not a destination, but what's the end game? Like, what's the end game is it, you know, for, for IT leaders nowadays? Not that I think we'll even be able to know or contemplate what might happen over the next 20 years. And, you know, and... Uh, Let's say you let's say you live to ninety, and I hope you do, or a hundred or more, and you know maybe by then we've got some other kinds of crazy technology, and we're living to be one hundred and fifty or something. But what's the um, you know is there an end game, or you know what do you do for fun? I mean, you've been blowing up stuff with C four, so I don't know how much more fun it could get. So I still game. Uh, gaming helps me relax. It's one of the things that I like to do with my friends, the same friends that play all the online back in the day. We still play. Um, games today, and that, that's the way that you know um, 
I, I, I think I will probably do until I'm old and, and feeble. But uh, it's something that I enjoy doing. Uh, it's relaxing. Some people watch TV. Some people do that, but, yeah. yeah. Hey, man. Look, my grandmother was playing. She had a bridge club. Okay. She had a bridge club. And uh, that's actually kind of fun. I'm definitely getting older now that like, <laughs> I like, you know, that I want to have a club and play cards and stuff. And like, I can yeah. see myself going down to Florida and playing shuffleboard and cards. Like I really could, you know, that sounds okay to me at this moment being that I live in New England and it's still freezing cold outside. Um, but yeah, that's a, yeah, so we're, so we're in a game into our old age. That's a, that's a, that's a, yeah. I, again, I've got guys in jujitsu class that are like Fortnite dudes and you see them on, on Facebook and they're like, we, you know, we just met up with our team. Like we all traveled from different parts of the world. And like, this is the first time we're meeting each other like in person. Yeah. And they've known each other for years. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. So, well, man, it has been a, a pleasure having you on the show for, um, if you had any, any one piece of advice or anything like that out there to, to your, your fellow colleagues and other IT directors, is there anything that's just been, you know, made your life so much easier or was like that aha moment that you just, you know, any piece of advice? Yeah. Uh, be humble. Um, and, uh, don't be, a, you know, always be willing to learn. Um, I've seen so many people that want to be the smartest guy in the world, something with the IT folks, you'll see that a lot. Um, but the ones I've seen that have the most success are people that have been humble and willing to learn and, uh, you know, educate themselves as this ever changing world that we live in in tech, car technology. So uh, that would be my one piece of advice. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Alrighty, sir. Uh, that's a good point, man. Because there is, there's a lot of times that uh, the IT guy is the smartest guy in the room, and in reality, it's probably because um, maybe he's scared to admit that. Um, I don't know. He uses he, he hides behind IT. <laughs> he hides yeah. behind mm-hmm. IT. Yeah. You know what I mean? To mask some other thing. But uh, man, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a great day. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs>